Thank you. I was doing a wedding this, uh, this Saturday and uh, there was a wedding coordinator, which is a real thing nowadays. And uh, she came up to me and she said, hi, are you Ross? And I said, yes, I'm Ross. And I stretched out my hand and nothing happened. And so, so I went, and nothing happened. So I went, and nothing happened. And I thought to myself, yo, there's like corona etiquette. We've got to, we've got to learn this thing. And I just want to quickly address this before I go into my sermon. But I've realized that the church needs a response to, to where we're at. And um, there are a few things we need to do. One, a lot of people in our community are of the middle class and, and upper. And uh, we actually need to protect South Africa. And so, so if you're traveling, if you um, are around people who travel... Um, please can I ask that you wisely steward and protect people. Uh, I'm seeing people traveling and then going into big meetings. That's not smart. We have to protect our poor. That's really what's going on here. We need to protect. Um, that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is we need to be full of faith. So we're starting to see healings of people of corona in churches around the world. And uh, pray for people. Pray for... Pray that there'll be healing, salvations. Pray that um, all the many opportunities for vaccines, etc., just break through to bring healing to this thing. But the third thing, the third aspect of faith, I was sitting chatting to one of my doctor friends, and he's not a Christian. And he said to me, he said, Russ, obviously I hope I don't get it, but I'm probably going to get it soon. Um, and I want to get it first so that I can serve people with it. If that's the heart of a non-Christian doctor, that should be the heart of every church member. Our heartbeat should be, God, if we get it, use us powerfully to serve those who are vulnerable. And so, so I want us to have that heartbeat as a church. Be full of faith. Don't get into the, oh, the world's dying. Let's get into faith that our sovereign God's got this. Is that cool? So Jesus, I thank you that you've got this. you got us. You're gonna bless us and our children and our children's children and you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. That was an amazing first song. Today, I'm going to speak about submission. And uh, in, in the context of I am disciple. And uh, on Saturday, as I said, I was doing this wedding. Beautiful wedding. Um, but, you know, some weddings, they make it easier for the pastor than other weddings. So this one was easier because the guy cried from the beginning all the way through. So I just, I had ammo. Just any time I was feeling dry, I just ripped him off. It was wonderful. Uh, and, and then uh, at the end of the, the service, he gave her a kiss. It was so long <laughs> and so in-depth that all I could say at the end was, I hope she's not pregnant. It was just... <laughs> But halfway through, uh, they did something different. They, um, they, because he had a checkered past and he had other kids, um, the mom called the kids and she, she basically did vows to them as a family. It was, it was a beautiful moment. And she, look at you, all the ladies, ah. Oh. Um, and so what she does, she said, it's such a privilege to come into your family. Your life is best, my life, and I want to be a blessing to your life. And then she, she basically went, now this is how it's going to work. <laughs> that, that was it. And I watched these two little boys go. 
And I thought to myself, that's beautiful. Submission, right there. She has just stamped her authority. This is how this thing's working from now. We don't like the word submission so much. We, we like push back from it. And so as I preach today, you're gonna push back from it. But I think if you grab hold of what I have to say, I think God's gonna do something special. So I've been, I guess, hanging out with Peter. I've been reading Peter's interactions with Jesus. And uh, as I've been looking through this, I've started to realize something that happened in Peter. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna start this story from after Jesus has been resurrected, and he comes to Peter, who's betrayed him three times. And, and Peter is at the lowest of the low. He's, he's been given a submission hold. Let me, let me show you what that is. This is, a, this is a submission move in MMA. There's not a lot you can do. Sometimes life gives you a submission move. My wife can do that to me with just a look. This is what's happened to Peter. Peter has had a submission move. Life has grabbed him from behind, pushed his neck under, and pulled him down. He's betrayed Jesus three times, and he's gone, I'm going fishing. What generally happens is when we walk in faith, and then it feels like faith's not working, we generally go back to what was old and comfortable. It's generally what happens to people. Peter, life has thrown him the submission move and he's gone back to what's old and is comfortable. And Jesus comes to him and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's just uh, come up onto the, the bank. They've been fishing. And uh, he, he, Jesus shouts out, how's the fishing going? And they go, we've got nothing. And then Jesus says, maybe throw your nets onto the other side. Now, if I was a disciple... Like, I've seen that movie before, where Jesus goes, throw it onto the other side, and then you know your nets break. And I would have caught on then. But anyway, they throw it onto the other side, they get 153 fish, and then Simon Peter comes in, realizing it's Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these fish? Now, he says that three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three is quite a big deal in the Bible. Father, son, Holy Spirit, body, spirit, soul, past, present, future, the world, the flesh, the devil. Three times Peter betrays Jesus. Three times Jesus goes to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, will you pray with me? Three times he falls asleep. Three times Jesus appears to the disciples after being resurrected. Three is a big deal. Three, for Peter, is a wholeness of Jesus restoring him. He comes to him, and on the third time, Peter says, Lord, you know everything, you know I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Some call that marriage. Anyway, this, is, this he said to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been speaking about follow me, and most people don't understand the bigness of those words, follow me. But uh, to be a disciple in Jesus' time was the highest 
privilege. There were only a few rabbis. And every kid would grow up wanting to be the best of the best so that he could become a disciple of a rabbi. And to, be, to hear these words from a rabbi, come follow me, meant that that rabbi believed that you had what it takes to be like him. And so to hear these words were incredible. But Peter has just proven that he didn't have what it takes. He just betrayed Jesus. That for a rabbi, the rabbi would never take you back. But Jesus comes back to him. He comes to meet Peter at the same place that he met him when he first called him. In the same situation, the same lack of fish, the same miracle, the same words. Come follow me. Big deal. What I've realized about Jesus is that he will keep coming back to meet you on your turf, no matter how much you mess up. He will come to your turf, but he does not meet you on your terms. He will come to where you're at, and then he'll say, now we're going here. Do you remember when you, when you were dating? Some of you are still dating. And the one party goes, what do you want to do? And then, and then the other party goes, no, no, what do you want to do? And then, no, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? No, no, let's do what you want to do. No, we did that last time. What do you want? Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> Jesus goes, we're going here. I will come meet you wherever you're at, in your sin, in your mess, in your hurt, in your pain, in your disillusionment, in your, I got dragged to church. I will meet you wherever you're at, but I won't go where you're going. You need to follow me. That's how this relationship works. I was in a, a coaching session with a lady the other day. She was helping me process some stuff, and she was talking about power, and this lady is so smart. She's basically read me like a book. In 15 minutes, she read me like a book. And it was embarrassing how much she knew about me, though she didn't know me. It was like she'd been stalking me or something. She was so smart. And anyway, we're talking about power. And as we chatting through this power thing, I, I, I started laughing. Because I thought to myself, that all the power in this room is over there. There is none over here. She knows everything. Like she is reading me like a book. When you're with Jesus, there's only one person with power. It's all him. So I, I taught at the young adults the other night. In fact, they asked me questions, easy questions like masturbation and things like that. That's what was coming at me. And then the one question they asked me was, um, they're all in their 20s. They, they asked me, how do I choose the right person, the right spouse? And, uh, and then added to that question, they said, and how do I date right? So I, I kind of said, good luck with that. No, I said, uh, <laughs> here's how you do it. You suss a person out for a long time, and then you commit. So they're all like in their 20, 21, 22. Something like more than two weeks long. <laughs> some, of you, some of you like 50, and uh, you've been sussing her out for 10 years. Can you put a ring on it? It's been going long enough. Jesus teaches that. 
He says, he says stuff like, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? He says, here's, here's how you should do this thing. He says, it's like building a tower. Who would, who would buy a tower, build a tower without working out how much this thing's gonna cost? Suss me out, get to know me, and then commit, then follow me because I wanna take you somewhere. I'm, I'm not coming to be part of your life, you're coming to be part of my life. You see, a lot of us, we think of Jesus like another app on our phone that helps me get to where I want to go because I have a plan for my life. Unfortunately, Jesus, he doesn't call you to follow a plan for your life. He calls you to follow a person, him, and he's the one with the plan, which is really scary for us because in order to follow him, we have to give up on our power and trust him. And that's hard. But he comes to Peter and he says, will you follow me? You know, how many times Jesus turns people away. He comes to guys and he's met them on their turf. And then he says to the rich young ruler, if you wanna follow me, give up everything you've got and come. He says to the guy, he's just cast out legion, lots of demons. The guy says, can I come follow you? He says, no, no, you go, the way you're gonna follow me, go and tell your town about me. Again and again and again, Jesus is saying this, I will meet you on your turf, but we do this relationship on my terms. I wanna to say to you, church, if you don't get that right, what you will end up with, what we end up in Christianity is what happened in Rwanda. So here's what happened. There were a whole bunch of people who believed in Jesus, but didn't follow Jesus they weren't disciples of Jesus. And the result was when Satan threw a bunch of lies into a community, it landed in a genocide and everyone would have called themselves Christians in that environment. Christianity that doesn't follow doesn't have power, it doesn't have life change, and it is not a witness to the world. Which is why Jesus says, in fact, the early church made it hard for you to join because they wanted you to understand what it meant to follow Jesus so that when you followed him, it was with power. Now I've lost my place. I've gone off on tangents. Peter, back to Peter. Peter, there's a difference between the first time Peter got called and the second time Peter got called. The first time Peter got called, he got called to follow Jesus and he didn't know where Jesus was going. See, most of us, when we accepted Jesus into our lives, we didn't know where he was going, so it's not really a problem. The second time Jesus comes to him and says, come follow me, this time Jesus is calling him to follow him and he knows where it's going, to a cross. And this time, Peter's got a tough call. This time it means something. But this time, if he gets this one right, he will have a supernatural resurrection life. The reason Jesus had to be resurrected was so that people could see it. And Jesus is not just inviting him to an average life, he's inviting him to a powerful life. And I can imagine Peter sitting there thinking about what Jesus was inviting him to, and starting to get flashbacks of things Jesus said. This is one time that a bunch of Greeks come to, to speak to Jesus. And, uh, and so they go to Philip. Philip's got a Greek name, so they go to the Greek dude, and they say, 
sought Jesus out so that he can come have a chat to us. And, and Philip, he's scared, so he goes to Andrew. Andrew comes to Jesus. And Jesus, he just kind of starts rambling off about something else. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it bears, sorry, but, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's random. Like Philip and Andrew are like, huh? Like, this like does weird stuff every now and again, but what is he going on? About? Like, this is what's going on inside of their lives. And I think Peter would have started thinking about this. He would have gone, unless the wheat falls to the ground and dies. And here's what I think he would have realized Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, in the natural, I've taught you everything I can teach you. I've showed you how to cast out demons, heal the sick. I've showed you the power of God. I've showed you how to work it. But if I am going to change the world, I need another level of power. I need resurrection power. If this thing's gonna multiply, it's not gonna be because I speak to some Greeks. It's because I'm going to go to the cross and God's gonna raise me up from the dead and you're gonna go to some Greeks. Jesus is going, I'm not going to the Greeks, I'm going to the cross. And then there'll be resurrection power. Here's the principle. You have to die if you want resurrection power in your life. You have to give it up. The hopes and dreams, there's somewhere down the line that you realize, man, the way I've been doing things, the prayers I've been praying, they aren't working. There are moments in marriage where you start to go, I have done everything I can in the natural and with every tool that I've got to change this marriage. I need resurrection life. And that requires death. But death isn't that fun and it's not that easy. So God has a way in which he kills us. Like this, this, meet, this message is just getting better and better. Like I'm now, if you weren't hurting, I'll hurt you now. So this is what happens. I, I need two, two people. Brad, come up here. Terrence, come up here. Brad, I hate to say this, but because you're so big, you'll be God. <laughs> and you'll be my mate. Thanks, thanks for nothing. Okay, here we go. You want resurrection power in your life. There is a pattern to which God puts it into your life. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, is it possible? May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall to temptation because the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He went a second time and prayed, my father, is it not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it? But may your will be done. So if it is not possible. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. 
Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The Father, in this case, is resolute and the friends have abandoned him. Now, if you want resurrection power in your life, it's not like you make a decision on the front end and you go, I'm gonna go to the cross so that resurrection can happen. It doesn't work like that. We can make that decision, but it doesn't work like that. What happens is life. And you have a plan for your life. You have a plan to marry her, or you have a plan for this career, or you have a plan to live here, or to buy this, or to live like that. And you take your plan to God, and God either says nothing, or he says no. And so here's what we do. We go to our friends. If God's not saying yes, then go to our friends so that we can get some mates to be on our side to go back to God. So we go to our friends and God will make it. This will happen to every one of you. God will make it so that your friends are unavailable to you emotionally. We call that abandonment. And then you will have nothing here and you will come back to God. And God is resolute or silent. And then you'll go back to your friends. You can take one step forward, you can take one step back, and then you'll go back to God. Jesus does this three times. Most of us do it 233 times, and we go back, and this comes closer. And what happens is it pushes in, and it pushes in, and the pain of betrayal hurting me and abandonment, and the pain of him not wanting to do my will, but me having to do his will, and you get squashed, and you get squeezed, and you get crushed, and in a moment you go like this and you yield, and when you yield, resurrection power comes. But it is no longer my will being done anymore, it is His will being done, and now everything changes inside of me. And God wants resurrection power in His disciples, and the way that happens is when you say, Jesus, I'll follow you. And some of us just need to go, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll follow you if you send me into Corona. I'll follow you if you call me to be a missionary in Mongolia. I'll follow you. You can't guarantee you'll get it right. You'll probably duff it. But you can keep saying, I choose to follow you. I choose to follow you. I choose to follow you. And when a person does that, his yieldness will produce new wine. 